The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Morning, church. Happy birthday. You're 15 today. You're a sullen teenager. That's worth a clap. So uh, in all seriousness, I do want to give God the, the praise and the thanks for 15 years of his faithfulness to us as a church. That's not long by you know most church standards, but uh, in this city, if you make it more than a year, you're a success. And for 15, a, 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 this is a, ooh, it's hard here. And um, God's been really faithful to us. And so um, many of you have met Christ. Many of you have met spouses, uh, been married, um, had bajillions of kids. And, uh, and we give God the praise for all that. And, and so many of you who have been part of this church and then moved on to other places, like I get emails and texts all the time from people who are like, we just can't find this kind of thing wherever we go. And it's not because of the preaching. It's not, it's because of what God's doing among us here. And so... Um, Let's be grateful for that. Um, as we look ahead to the future, if you're new here, you may know or, or haven't heard that um, we're in the process of a conversation with Bent Creek Baptist Church about 10 minutes from here about possibly adopting them, their, their church kind of enfolding in with ours and us relocating to their property. And so that, that's a big, big deal. And um, we're grateful for that opportunity and just would ask you to be, continue to be praying that the Lord would make his will in this obvious and clear for all of us on both sides of this. And um, on that note, today at 3 p.m., there's a town hall meeting at Bent Creek. So we did a, a town hall meeting here just for our Missio members. They had a town hall for Bent Creek members. Now we're getting together and doing a town hall together. Um, many questions have been submitted. We're gonna try to answer and then have some kind of uh, open mic Q&A time. But um, after that, um, we're gonna have an ice cream social as well. So we got Norman's ice cream coming with a truck and it'll all be free. Um, and so would love for you to be there. Many of you have said to me like, I don't have any questions. I'm good to go. When's the vote? Um, and, and I appreciate that, but I want you to come because it's, it's important that we build relationship with the people of Bent Creek. So far, we've been a name on a piece of paper to many of them. I had the privilege of preaching there last Sunday and uh, it went really well and got really good reception, um, was encouraged by the saints there, but it's important that we as a community embrace them and and um, love them and get to know them. And so if you can come today, 3 p.m., town hall meeting uh, at Bent Creek, um, you can just search for Bent Creek Baptist and find it, um, the address on Brevard Road. And I hope that you will come and be part of that with us. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, open up to Philippians chapter one. We have just recently started a series through the book of Philippians. And um, I've asked three things of you as we started this series. One was that you would try, and it looks like most of you are, uh, to be here every week during this series. Um, it's important that we sit under the word of God, that we learn it together, study it together. And so my ask has been that you just make it a priority to be here. There'll be eight left after today. Um, so it's not that big of a commitment, but you can be here for those, uh, those last remaining eight weeks. Second is if you didn't have a reading plan already, if you're not in a rhythm of reading the scripture, uh, that you would just take one chapter a day of the book of Philippians and read it. Uh, there's only four chapters, so you're going you're gonna to read it almost twice in a week, which will get you through the entire, uh, the, it'll get through the book about 20 times or so uh, during the entire series. And I guarantee that God will do something in your soul if you just read his word. And then thirdly is community. Uh, get into community. Today, uh, we'll be praying for and commissioning our community group and Bible study leaders. 
Um, that'll happen at the end of the gathering, but they launch this week. And so if you're not already in a Bible study, if you're not already in a community group, uh, we'd like to encourage you to do that because you need other people. We'll see this today, even in the text. You need other people in your life to walk with and to learn from. So those are my three asks uh, as we get into Philippians uh, chapter one. Now, the central theme or one of the central themes of this book is joy. That's why we named the series Joy Reclaimed. Jesus said to us in John 15, I believe it is, uh, that he gave us his teaching that, we, that his joy would be in us so that our joy would be full. How many of us are experiencing the fullness of joy that Jesus promises? Raise a hand, nobody? That's what I thought. <laughs> so Jesus has promised us this and yet most of us struggle with joy. So we need books like Philippians. We need the teaching of the word of God to help us understand how to reclaim and recapture the joy that Jesus promises to us. Now you gotta remember that the apostle Paul who wrote the book of Philippians is not writing this from some cushy pastor's office with a leather chair and a pumpkin spice latte in hand, just penning some words about having joy in the Lord. Paul's in prison. He is chained to a Roman guard 24 seven. Can't even use the restroom without being chained to a guard. I know some of you feel chained to your toddlers. Uh, this is a little different, okay? He's been falsely accused, wrongly imprisoned. He's now appealed to Caesar. He's awaiting trial in Rome. He doesn't know whether he's going to be acquitted and live or convicted and die. And yet Paul, uh, as this member of the Philippian church comes to him with a financial gift to help him offset the costs, even though he's, even though he's in prison, he has to offset his own living costs in Rome. The Philippian church sent a gift to him. They came with money. And, uh, and, and as he writes this letter back to the church at Philippi, he is filled with gratitude and with joy. He uses the words joy and rejoice more in Philippians than any other book of the Bible. So this is the context here. So we have to ask the question like, where does this kind of joy come from? Like, what is the source of that kind of deep and abiding joy in any and every circumstance. That's what we're gonna look at this morning. Now, just to give you a little recap, last week, Paul was encouraging the saints at Philippi, um, saying to them that his arrest and imprisonment have actually only served to further the gospel, to advance the gospel. Uh, even the guards, the, 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 the imperial guards had all heard the gospel by now because you know they're chained to him and Paul knows no stranger. So he's gonna proclaim the gospel to anyone that he is chained to. The believers who had heard about his story were emboldened to share the gospel more and more and more. And even those who were his rivals, even those who were jealous of the platform that God had given him, now that he's in prison, they're going, oh, now we can make a name for ourselves by proclaiming the gospel. He says, but guess the gospel still being preached. So praise God for that. In this, I rejoice. And so we're gonna pick up in chapter one, verse 18. Um, and then I'll read down to verse 26 and we'll get going here. So here's what Paul says, Philippians 1, 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, those are the rivals proclaiming the gospel. Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. We'll stop there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm grateful um, to be gathered with these brothers and sisters this morning in the presence of your Holy Spirit and under the authority of your Holy Word. And I pray that you, Lord, would do what only you can do by your word and through your spirit in the hearts of these brothers and sisters. We reflect on your faithfulness to us over 15 years and we give you thanks for that. We also recognize today as September 11th is a, uh, a very hard day to think back on for many of us as we remember those attacks um, so many years ago, 2001. And, and, and we thank you for that sacrifice of all of those who have continued to fight for the freedom of this nation so that we can be a people who can gather in a room like this, free from persecution, free from harm, and open the Bible and, and, and preach the word of God um, with, without fear. And so we, we turn our attention now to the, the church around the world who is gathering this morning and putting their lives on the line for gathering with other Christians as they smuggle Bibles and, and, and open pages of scripture in secret. Lord, they know the definition of to live is Christ and to die is gain. Would you help us comfortable Americans to learn what that means and to walk in it. We ask for your help as we study this passage in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Uh, if you're a note taker, I'll just go ahead and give you my, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make some observations here. The first thing I wanna point out to you in this text from verses 18 to 20 um, is what I'm calling the courage to endure. The courage to endure. Paul says, yes, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit, that being the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ, he's also known, this will turn out for my deliverance as it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So remember Paul's chained to a Roman guard. He's in jail, he's awaiting trial. He doesn't know his fate. And yet he will not let anything steal his joy. Yes, I will rejoice, he says. Now, sometimes when we read the Bible, I feel like, especially the letters of Paul, it's easy to think of Paul as like superhuman. You know, this sort of, he's got his cape flapping in the wind and he's just sort of standing there like, I will rejoice in all circumstances. And you're like, I don't know how to relate to this guy, you know? But we gotta remember, okay, Paul wrote letters. Um, his letter to the Corinthians, the second letter. He starts the letter by saying, I want you to know that we were so severely afflicted in Asia that we despaired of life itself. At the end of 2 Corinthians, he, he talks about the countless beatings and imprisonments and um, how he was in danger from everybody and their mother. He struggled, he suffered, he felt those emotions of fear and doubt and heart, like all the stuff you feel when you hit times of hardship and suffering, Paul felt them too. And yet he said, I'm not letting anything steal my joy. 
joy ran deeper than his circumstances. Because Paul's joy, he knew um, that no matter what he faced, God would deliver him. He says, whether by life or by death. Now, if I'm sitting in the room in Philippi and this letter is being read and I hear Paul say, this will turn out for my deliverance. And then he says, whether by life or by death, I'm going, whoa, 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 roll back the scroll, please, please. Roll back that papyrus. Because <laughs> you just said deliverance. And then he said, whether by life or death. I don't know about you, but death doesn't sound like deliverance to me. It sounds like, well, you know, death. How was how that? How is that possible? Well, see, Paul's understanding of deliverance is actually the same Greek word that's used for salvation. And he's not saying that like, I hope I'll be saved. He knows he is saved. Ryan mentioned this to us last week um, that uh, in the gospel, we are being saved or have been saved from the penalty of our sin, that we are being saved from the power of evil and sin and that we will one day be saved from the very presence of sin and evil. Right? And Paul has this understanding. And so he can say, if I am set free, if I am um, acquitted and I am set free, I'm delivered. But you know what? If I'm convicted and I lose my life, I'm also delivered. My salvation is secure in Christ regardless of what happens to me. So ultimate vindication, in other words, um, is not dependent on Roman justice. Ultimate vindication is from the Lord and the Lord alone. He knows the Lord's got him. And so he can say, look, whether I live, whether I die, Christ will be glorified. And in that I can rejoice. Okay, here's my question. What would it be like to have that kind of assurance and confidence? Because I think a lot of us, like we know we're supposed to think that way. But the reality of it, like one time I got a phone call, this was years and years ago. And back when you answered the phone, you know, I picked up the phone and it was like, this is the Buncombe County Detention Center. And I was like, hmm, never had that call before. Where's this gonna go? And so um, I took the call and it was someone close to me who said, it wasn't my wife, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> someone close to me who said, hey, Brian, we have a little problem here. And I wanted to say, didn't, but I wanted to say, no, we don't have a little problem. <laughs> you seem to have a little problem. But I wonder, like, if I ever found myself imprisoned or persecuted in some way, like, would I be able to say with Paul, I rejoice in this, do what you want to me? Or would I be making phone calls like, you gotta get me out of this, okay? Because if you notice, Paul never asks for the people to pray that he's freed from the situation, only that Christ would be magnified. Well, that's different, isn't it? He says, I am I'm confident in the Lord's provision through your prayers, he says. He knows they're a praying people. That's a, that's a big deal. He didn't ask the church to pray. He knew they were already praying. I know that through your prayers and he says, the spirit of Jesus, the help of the Holy Spirit. In other words, as you pray, God is answering those prayers by empowering, strengthening, giving me what I need by the power of his spirit. So that I expect, he says, I, I, with eager anticipation, I expect to have courage, fortitude, to be able to honor Christ in my body, whether by life or by death. I, I have eager expectation and hope, and we know hope is a confidence, right? Hope is not like, uh, the, you know, the Panthers are playing pretty well this year, 
are they going to go to the Super Bowl? We hope so. Probably not is what we mean. Hope is a, a steadfast assurance. Hope is a life-shaping certainty about the future. He says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but I will magnify Christ and my, he will give me the courage. Now, he uses, the ESV uses the word honor, which is a good word, but the, the, another better, I think, translation of the word there is magnify. There's two ways to magnify something. One is like microscope, where you take a small thing and it becomes bigger. But a telescope works differently. It takes something that's very big and it brings it into clarity. And that's what Paul's talking about. My hope is to magnify the Lord Jesus. In other words, to take his grace, to take his mercy, to take who he is and to bring it to stunning clarity before everyone. Magnify the Lord. And honestly, he says, I cannot wait to see how Jesus is gonna use my situation to make much of himself. I'm all in. <laughs> Again, this, this courage is not Paul's. Do you remember, many of you were with us for our study of the book of Acts uh, this past year. And in Acts chapter 23, uh, Paul is in prison. Remember, he was falsely accused in Jerusalem, arrested, brought to Caesarea, left there two years. And he doesn't know what's gonna happen. And I believe it's Acts 23. Paul says that in the middle of the night, Jesus appeared to him in his jail cell and said to him, take courage. Why would Jesus have to tell Paul to take courage? because he didn't have any courage, because he was discouraged. And so Jesus came to him, appeared to him and told him, hey, take courage, I got you, you're in my hands, you're gonna make it to Rome, you're gonna actually represent me in Rome. And, and God does that, he provides exactly what we need in season, but oftentimes God provides those things through the means of the prayers of his people. It's like a hammer and a nail. Right? You don't just put a, a, a nail on a board and just like wait for it to go into the board. You, you hit it with a hammer, right? Because the hammer is the God-ordained ordained means, John Piper says, of getting nails into boards. And in a similar way, prayer is the God-ordained means by which God dr drives his will into action. So what do you need? Where do you need the presence, the power, the strength of the Holy Spirit in your life? Would you ask your brothers and sisters, your community of faith to pray for you to that end. See, we wanna we want be a community who is open and honest with the needs that we have and to say, I need the Spirit's power, I need strength, I need God to do this in my life, would you pray for me? And I have full confidence that as the people of God pray for the things that you need, God will provide them, amen? What do you need from the Lord? Now, the key to this whole passage is in the next little section, we're gonna see this, but I wanna preface it by saying, Paul knows that it isn't the circumstances of our lives that determine our joy. What makes all the difference is how we define life, how we actually describe or define what life really is. So, so um, look with me at the next section here and I'll, I'll give you the heading. It is, um, uh, Paul is ex exhibiting the freedom to live or to die. That's my next point. The freedom to live or to die. Look at verse 21. You guys hanging in? Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the original language that is, isn't there. And so it's literally for me to live Christ to die, gain. 
If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose as if he has a choice. (laughs) He's in prison. Which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ for that is far better. The freedom to live or to die. Paul says the way that you define life makes all the difference in how you actually experience and handle the circumstances that life throws our way. And for Paul, the irreducible bottom line of his entire life and existence is to live Christ. That's it. That is the thing that makes life, life. That is the one thing that's more important than anything. To live is Christ. Okay, so how would we define life? What is life to you? Um, how many of you watch Ted Lasso? Come on, safe space. All right. If you haven't, you should. It's great. Um, you, you remember uh, Danny Rojas? <laughs> What's his mantra? He kicks a goal. What's he say? Football is life. <laughs> Football is life. Until he kicks that mascot and kills it. <laughs> and then... It, Sorry, spoiler alert. And then, and then he can't kick a goal to save his life, right? Football is life. Okay, how would you define life? For some of you, career is life. You know, if I can just be successful in my career, if I could get that dream job, that's life. For some of you, it's achievement of various kinds. Winning, right? For some of you, it's financial security. Financial security is life. As long as I have enough money to pay the bills and to, and to put some away for retirement, that is life. For some of you, beauty is life. For some of you, it's freedom or autonomy, right? To, to be independent from others and not have uh, influence, but to be, able to, to be able to express myself for who I am, that is life. For some of you, friends are life. For some of you, family is life. And look, those are those are mostly all good things, but here's the problem with all of them. What happens when things go south? What happens when career is life and you lose your dream job? What happens when financial security is life and the market tanks? What happens when your marriage is life and then your marriage falls apart? What happens when family is life and your kids move out and they don't want to talk to you anymore? See, if, if your life starts to disintegrate and fall apart because you lose your career, or if your life starts to completely crumble and, and be destroyed because you lose your significant other, your problem is not your circumstances. Your problem is the way you're defining life. And I don't say that to minimize the pain that any of you are going through. Some of you are going through some massive hardships right now. But if those things are your life, then to lose those things is death. And and only Jesus is the, it's only with Jesus that you can say, Jesus is life and death is gain. In Philippians 3, which we'll get to in time, Paul 
talks about all the things that he thought were life, right? His ethnicity, his upbringing, his religious heritage and training, his achievements in the Jewish faith. And then he says in Philippians 3, and I count all of those things, everything I've gained, everything I've achieved in life, I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. For the sake of gaining Christ, I count it all, he says, as rubbish, which is really a slang word for refuse, for dung. Because Paul had found real life, true life in Jesus Christ. Most of you know, some of you might not, Paul hated Jesus. He was a, a persecutor of the church. He would go into churches like this. He would gather up Christians and have them beaten and tortured and sometimes executed. And he was, other than Satan, like the chief opponent to Jesus and the movement of Christians, right? Until he meets Jesus. Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus and blinds him and, and says, Paul, well, why are you, why are you persecuting me? And Paul falls to his face and he, he, he gives his life to Christ. He becomes a Christian. And from that point forward, he becomes the most preeminent church planter and evangelist that the world has ever seen and, and wrote most of your New Testament here. And in the book of Galatians, he writes this to the Galatian church. I just wanna read it for you really quickly. He says, I want you to know Galatian church, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the son of God. Listen to this, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, who was Saul, greatest opponent of the Christian church, murdered Christians, hated Jesus, says, my life's not my own anymore. Because Jesus, I know that he lived, he died for me. He loved me, even me. Listen. If Paul can say that, why can't you? If Paul can say, I was, I was opposed, I was vehemently opposed to Christ and now I know that I belong to him because he loved me and gave himself for me. If that can happen with Paul, why is your friend, neighbor, coworker, spouse beyond the grace of God? Paul received the finished work of Jesus and his life, death and resurrection with the empty hands of faith and it changed him. And so he can go on to say, even if I keep on living, even if I keep on living, that just means more time to make more of Jesus. But I'm telling you, it's a real dilemma. And this is again, where Paul just gets weird on us, right? I don't know, should I choose life or should I choose death? Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Let's just be honest. To depart, I love this. You, you grammar nerds, English teachers are gonna love this. In the original language, what he says here is to depart, which is one of those, um, the church fathers call them the sweet names for death. You know, like he fell asleep, he departed. Those are all words for death. He says, to depart is much more better. That's how the original language translates. To depart and be with Christ is much more better. In other words, it's far, far, far superior how many of us could say that? How many of us really believe that right now? It sounds bizarre if we're honest, right? Like there's this old blues song that says everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. <laughs> that's, where, that's where most of us live, right? We all wanna go to heaven, but we're afraid to die. 
Listen, if you know Christ, what is there to fear? What is there to fear? For Paul to depart and be with Christ is far, far superior because he knows that it means being with Christ. That's like the best definition of, it, of eternal life there is to be with Christ. Like when faith becomes sight. When the scripture says, now we know in part, but then we shall know in full, we will see him face to face. this old motto. I used to hear it a lot growing up. Life stinks and then you die. There's other variations of it, but I can't say them in church. Um, <laughs> life stinks and then you die, which is like a horrible, horrible mantra for life, right? It's all bad and then you die. Pa Paul says, no, no, no. Life in Christ is amazing. And then you get to die and you just get more of Jesus. And who doesn't want more of Jesus? It's amazing. And so I'm torn. Do I stay here and live or do I depart? You know what? To depart, to go to heaven, to go home and be with the Lord is far, far, far better. Why? Because uh, the Jesus that we have ignored our whole lives, most of us, the Jesus that we have rebelled against over and over and over, the Jesus that we have failed over and over and over, who lived a perfect sinless life for us because we couldn't, who took all of our failings and all of our folly and all of our sin and all of our rebellion, and all of our stupidity on himself and bore the judgment of God in our place. The same Jesus who rose from the dead three days later, conquering death, sin, and hell for you and me so that if we receive his finished work with empty hands, we will be forgiven and welcomed into his family. The same Jesus who is with us even now by his spirit, step by step every day of our lives will one day welcome us into eternal rest and joy and glory in him. So we, so we sing, no guilt in life, no fear in death. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. And that makes you annoyingly untouchable. <laughs> because they say, we'll see this in Philippians, right? Paul, we're gonna kill you. And he's like, all right, to die is gain. <laughs> all right, fine, we're gonna let you live. To live is Christ. <laughs> all right, we're just gonna beat you within an inch of your life, throw you in jail, let you rot. He goes, all right. Because the sufferings of this life are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Bring it on. The freedom to live or to die because my life is in his hands. All right, so finally, we'll see here, last little bit, the joy to serve, verses 24 to 26. The joy to serve. <clears throat> so Paul's whole thing is, hey, I, I wanna go. It's better for me if I go and be with the Lord. But, verse 24, to remain in the flesh, in this body, is more necessary on your account convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory 
in Christ Jesus, to worship Christ, to adore Christ because of my coming to you again. So, okay, recap. Paul says, I choose joy in any and every circumstance because no matter what happens, I have confidence Christ will be magnified in me. For me to live, Christ to die, gain. So of course, I would much rather go home and be with the Lord. But then he says, but to stay here and to keep ministering is better for your sake. Now, this is not Paul being vain, right? This is not Paul being like, but you guys need me, so I guess I'll stay, okay? Paul knows this isn't about him. And I feel like this is, I mean, I'm stepping away from the Bible here because this is my opinion. Um, I feel like Paul is getting confirmation from the Lord as he's writing the letter. Because he starts out by saying, I don't know whether I'm gonna live or die, but either way, Christ be magnified. And now he's like, but I'm pretty sure I'm staying. You know, so it's like, as he's writing, the Lord is confirming in him. He's like, oh, okay, oh, yep. Because he doesn't have Gmail. He's not like, delete, let's start over. Papyrus is expensive. He's already written it. He's like, let's just let it ride. <laughs> like, no need to cross through things. Just listen, it's right. So he's like, I'm persuaded that my assignment here is not yet complete. And so because we already saw him say to live is, means fruitful labor for him, he's gonna keep on laboring. And his labor is to help these Philippians continue to grow in joy and in faith. In fact, in verse 25, the word that he uses here for progress um, I have a footnote in my Bible. It's the same word that he uses in chapter one, verse 12 for advance. What happened to me has only advanced the gospel. He's saying, now I'm gonna remain with you so that you will advance in joy and in faith. That's, that's my mission. So, so this is what Paul's saying. More breath in my lungs just means more prayers to pray, more people to love, more folks to disciple and encourage, more uh, letters to write. You know, we have these things called the prison epistles. These four, um, there's four books in the New Testament, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the book of Philemon. Okay, those are all letters that Paul wrote from his Roman jail cell. Imagine if his life had been snuffed out. Imagine if he had gone to be with the Lord sooner, he never would have written those letters. And I wonder, maybe one day I'll ask the Lord this, how many people over the last 2000 years have met the Lord Jesus through one of those books, have been encouraged, have found more joy and hope and been grown and sanctified in their faith because of those letters from Paul 2000 years ago. Here we are in 2022, studying this letter of Paul and trying to reclaim our joy. God is still at work through his ministry. Now, tradition says that Paul eventually did get released. If you're with, our, with us in our Acts study, when we got to chapter 28, it sort of ends abruptly. And uh, we said, you know, in, in tradition, history, we don't have biblical account of this, but it appears as though Paul actually did get released, acquitted uh, in his appeal to Caesar and that he lived at least two more years. We don't know exactly where he went. Some think he went to Spain uh, and did some ministry. We know he didn't retire. He wasn't sipping Mai Tais on a beach somewhere, okay? because he knew that his life was bought with a price and he was not his own. He knew that he had once lived for himself, 2 Corinthians 5, but now he is compelled by the love of Christ to live for him who loved him and died for him. And part of that means to live for the sake of others as well. Do you, do you know why? 
Do you know why many of us struggle with joy? Because we're so flipping selfish. We struggle for joy because Jesus is in our lives. Jesus is a part of our lives, but Jesus is not life to us. Something else is. And so this other thing that's near us in our lives, we cling to and we try to squeeze joy out of good but non-ultimate things, which constantly frustrate and disappoint us because they were never meant to give us the joy that only Jesus can provide for us. And so we squeeze one thing and get a drop of joy. Then we go to something else. We go to something else. Meanwhile, there's a river of joy in Christ that we're walking right past trying to squeeze something out of a walnut. The key to a joy-filled life is Christ first, other second, me final, me last. And listen, that is not legalism. That is the only proper response to what Christ has done for us in the cross. And by the way, what Jesus commanded us, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the key to joy, friends. And not only do we find, let let me put it this way. Um, in, In Hebrews 12, you don't have to turn there. I just want to read you a line here. <clears throat> I've used this a couple times and I just can't get away from it because it's so beautiful. Paul has talked in Hebrews chapter 11 about what we call the hall of faith, right? All these Old Testament saints who kind of went before and gave their lives in hope of the promise, you know, um, Abraham and Moses and all these people. So then he gets to chapter 12 and the author of Hebrews, which might be Paul, might be someone else, says this, Hebrews 12, one, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great, great a cloud of witnesses, all those who've gone before in, verse, in chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, all those, all those things that are sort of about us that we focus on, let, let them go. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Focus your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, listen to this, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, I wanna be careful how I say this. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, to me, to live is to glorify God and to die is to gain you. for the joy set before him. There was a joy to be found on the other side of the cross. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Why? Because to die was to gain you. (laughs) Foolish, rebellious, stubborn you, the real you, the you even you can't stand, Jesus loves you. So much he endured the cross for your sake. It was his joy to redeem you to bring you into his family. And not only in Christ do we find the forgiveness of all of our stupidity and sin, we find usefulness. We find usefulness in the kingdom of God. And who doesn't want to be useful to Jesus? So our our call, the call of every 
follower of Jesus, as we focus on him, as we let the reality for that, that for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, despising and shame for us, as we let that melt our souls and refocus our affections, every follower of Jesus is called to live life with others for their progress and joy in the faith. Paul says, it's my joy to endure all this hardship and my mission is your joy and your advancement in the faith. Usefulness in the kingdom of God to help others advance in the faith, to help others advance in joy. Listen, I love that you come to church. I really do. I'm so glad that you come, but it's far, far better. It's much more better to be the church than to simply come to church. And if you wanna find joy, get your eyes off your stinking life, put them on other people's stinking lives <laughs> and seek to advance their joy in the faith and you will find your joy. You don't have to write Christian books. You don't have to speak at conferences. You don't have to plant churches. You don't have to be a missionary. You know, the only reason we have the letter of Philippians is because some dude dropped some money off with Paul. He's like, I'm going there anyway. I can drop that off. And now we have the book of Philippians, like a simple acts, okay? All you need to do is be present, open, willing, faithful. So that Christ might be gloried in and worshiped for who he really is. And we will find our joy together in him. So the local church should be a joy factory where, where we are together pursuing one another's joy as we understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us and who we are in him. As we grow and progress and advance in the faith, our joy will grow with it. And so then we walk out of these doors as a people just overflowing with the joy that only Jesus can provide and that'll change a city. That'll change lives. Okay, so as we wrap up, I'm gonna put some questions on the screen. Uh, if you're new around here, I kind of end my sermons usually with uh, kind of application questions. So you can write them down as they come or you can take a picture of the screen when all of them are up. But I would encourage you, uh, take these questions to lunch, take them to you know, your, your personal devotion prayer time, take them to a community group and let's just talk these things out with each other and see what the Lord wants to say to us. First question is this, what is life to me? Honestly, not the Christian answer, not the Sunday school, huh, Jesus, like, is he really? A honest evaluation, what is life to me? And is my definition of life actually delivering on its promises? So I'm telling you right now, and some of you, I know, like I can sense you just don't believe it and that's fine, but I'm, I'm telling you the truth. You can choose not to believe the truth, but Jesus is the only thing that if you make them your life, you can say to die is gain. Everything else, even good things will disappoint you and frustrate you and not satisfy you. Jesus will never not satisfy you. What is life to me? Second, what keeps me from walking in the joy that is available to me in the gospel of Christ? 
what is available as Jesus said in John 15. Here I am, here's my teaching to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. And yet we all admit it, we don't walk in that joy. Okay, what gets in the way? What hinders your joy? What, what robs you of joy? Are you trying to squeeze other things for joy that only Jesus can actually give you? If you would follow him and cling to him, maybe you'll find the joy that's actually available. But what, what is it that gets in the way of what robs you? What hinders you from the joy that's actually available to you in the gospel? Third, how can I be more useful. We wanna be faithful, we wanna be forgiven, we wanna be useful to the Lord. How can I be more useful to the Lord and to his people for their progress and joy in the faith? Okay, this is our interdependence. This is what it means to be the church to one another, to use the abilities, skills, gifts, talents that he's entrusted to us to help one another. That means community, that means serving one another, that means you know, making it a priority, to invest our time in one another as the body of Christ and not just use all of our time on ourselves. How can I be more useful to the Lord and to his people? There's all kinds of opportunities, friends, okay? To help our kids progress in joy and faith, to help our students progress in joy and faith, to help one another as adults progress in joy and faith. Those opportunities are available if you wanna be useful to the Lord. And then last, where do I need the prayers of the church and the help of the Holy Spirit? Am I up against something and I just, I know I need strength, power, clarity, whatever it is from the Lord. I need the help of his people, the prayers of his people. I wanna invite you to take a moment. And um, if you're new around here, there's, there's connect cards in the seat back there, but the other side of that connect card is for prayer. And so if there's a specific need, if there's a specific thing that you are saying, yes, I would love the help of the spirit and the prayers of the people, take that, connect card, the back side of it, fill it out, write up, write what your prayer request is. And then during our response time, you can put it in those black boxes in the back. Our staff takes, um, every Monday, we take all those prayer requests and we pray over them um, as well. I'll be around some of our elders after the gathering if you need prayer on the spot as well. But we wanna take seriously the responsibility to pray for one another and to seek the Lord on behalf of one another. So if you have a way we can pray for you, uh, make sure you make note of that for us, okay? So I'm gonna pray for us. Um, and then uh, we're gonna have a moment of silence just to be still and, and sit before the Lord. And then we'll open up the communion tables. And in communion, again, as a reminder, it's a reminder of that Hebrews 12 promise, right? That Christ endured the cross for us. Like, that we are in some sense, his joy. Um, and he willingly laid his life down and, absorbed God's wrath in our place to save us, but it's also a promise, communion. We're, re we're remembering what he did, but we're also looking forward to that day when we will see him face to face, when we'll be before him. And, and Revelation says we'll, we'll be there and there will be no need of the sun because the light of Christ will shine on us and we will, we will be with him forever. Joy complete. And so we come to these tables, taking the, the, the bread, remembering his body broken in order to make us whole. We dip into the juice or the wine, whatever our conscience allows in order to remember the blood of Christ, which was spilled for us to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. But we, we do that again, looking back, but looking forward. There is a day coming when we will be with him face to face and our joy will be complete. 
And so we come in faith, we come in repentance, we come in thanksgiving. If you're not a Christian, you can stay in your seat during this time. No one will judge you for that. This is for those of us who have surrendered to Christ and have trusted in him with empty hands of faith. So I'm gonna pray. Uh, We'll have a moment of silence. When I get up to the table, uh, the tables will be open and then the band's gonna come and lead us in a few songs before we depart, before we leave. We're not departing. That's a whole different, some of us might and praise God if you do, but um, (laughs) let me pray. Father, I thank you for these beautiful people. God, we thank you for your word, which is so rich. It's so meaningful. We long to be the kind of people who can say with Paul to live Christ, to die gain. We're not there. I'm not there. And so we need your help. And I pray that in this time of reflection, as we celebrate communion, as we sing, as we give, Lord, that you would fill us with joy in your presence. You are here with us right now. So we wanna, we wanna enjoy you as we sing and celebrate together and help us be a people, help us become a people who can, who can be open-handed with our lives and who find our joy in Christ and in Christ alone. We love you, not nearly enough, but we love you. We ask you to fill us with your spirit and to sanctify us and make us into this kind of people for your glory, for our good. We ask it in Jesus' name and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's be silent just for a moment.